If I were to give you one verse in the Bible that could substantially change your relationships, that could greatly uh, up your influence and make you feel a lot better about yourself, it would be the verse we're going to look at today. If I were to tell you this, that the level that this verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, is being put into practice in our church is one of the greatest determiners of our health and our spiritual purity. In fact, this verse is so good that if you are ever selling eggs, you want to put this on a sticker, just like those little dark kids do. There you go. That little sticker is right there with all their eggs there. And it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, and it simply says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Now, for multiple weeks now, we have been talking about the return of Jesus Christ. We've been making our way through 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 4, verse 13, all the way through 5.11. He is talking about eschatology, things to come, end time truth. And you remember that Jesus, is, who has promised to return, will do just that. Just like it's recorded, he's going to come in the air. There is going to be literally the capturing up of all those who have placed their faith in Christ. And those who have died, and they were believing at the, place they, at the time that they passed away, will at this time receive resurrected bodies. And there's this glorious event that's going to be taking place called the rapture. It's found in verse 13 through 18 in chapter 4. Then he began to talk about this day of the Lord, chapter 5, where God is going to bring a series of judgments upon the earth for all who are rebelling, who said, I don't want you, I don't want to go your way, I, I can care less. If you reject Christ, then he actually spells out what that will look like. And we took uh, plenty of time to talk through that, in fact, an entire Sunday. And then he talks about, but you and I, who believe in Christ, we're not going to face the day of the Lord in terms of his judgments, but rather we're sons today, and we have a new future. And he talks about how he wants us to live, not only being clear about our identity in Christ, but he also wants us to be actively engaged in a particular lifestyle. And that's what we're focusing on in verse 11. We are to be life-giving believers. If you and I are truly living in light of Christ's return, then 5.11 basically spells out how you and I are to live. So how do you and I become a life-giving believer? How do we do that? Well, this verse tells us. First of all, we are to be encouraging one another. You see that? Verse 11, he says, Therefore, as a result of all of what I've told you, all of the truth about Christ and his coming back and future judgments that will come, I want you to behave in such a way. And how is it? Therefore, encourage one another. The idea of encouragement is to really to call someone forth to renew commitment. It's to give strength. Fortitude. It's to build up. And there's, it's to strengthen one's faith, whether it's to follow God and obey Him when it's difficult, but it's to encourage someone, to give them vision, to give them strength. And every single person needs encouragement. If you're young or you're old, you're famous or not so famous, you're very successful or not so successful, I can assure you every single person needs encouragement. Just look around. The people around you I can tell you, they need encouragement. Mark Twain once said this, One compliment can keep me going for a whole month. Isn't 
that works? I, I mean, you're just distressed, it's difficult, life is painful, and someone comes along with some encouragement. And it's just like frustrating. I can't tell you how many times I felt like this is overwhelming, there's no way, there's one need, there's more that I could possibly do. This is flat out difficult. But then someone comes with just a word of encouragement. You might get an email, maybe a text, someone just personally contacts you, they tell you something, and it gives you frustrate for whatever you are facing. And friends, there is great need. If you are a teacher, yeah, I, I, I want you to know, I pray for you, and I know it is tough out there, but you have the power, through encouragement, to unleash all sorts of potential. When I talk with my kids and ask them about school and how's it going and tell me about your teachers and your favorite teachers, I had that, this conversation even yesterday with one of them, the ones that they like the best, that are most influential, are the ones who are encouraging. They're nice. If you are a leader, whether you're leading as a, a part of a management team or you're leading your company or you've got some sort of ministry in a church, Whoever you're leading will do substantially better if you learn how to incorporate encouragement. I think that's a warning, but I think we're safe, all right? Okay, so we'll just keep going here. If you are married, you know what? Your spouse needs your encouragement. In fact, encouragement. Your encouragement could literally so, encouragement is absolutely vital. And that's because we all face the same challenges. Remember these killer deeds that we talk about? Like, for instance, distraction. Life distracts us. We get focused on the side things, and we actually can get distracted by things that are very good. There's nothing wrong with doing them. The problem is, is whenever we lose focus on God, we, we have a tendency to start actually getting discouraged because we're missing the vital component of staying focused on God. Dis distraction leads to discouragement. Discouragement, when life seems heavy, it's, it's difficult, may even seem hopeless or hard, we find, we face discouragement, right? I can assure you there's people in this auditorium right now that are discouraged. Some of you might just be flat out even depressed. And then, of course, there can come to disengagement. And this is exactly how the enemy works. He gets you distracted, which leads to actually you feeling discouraged, and then it's just like this voice, you need to isolate yourself. You don't need to be at church. You don't need to be involved with other believers. And he moves you into isolation, and you start giving up, and you start going passive, and you drop out. And then sometimes, you actually do some things that are actually disqualifying in your life. You're going to have to be set aside because those are flagrant sin in your life. Friends, every community, every neighborhood, Every school, and especially every church, our church, needs encouragement. The degree that we put this verse into play is the degree we really are taking Jesus seriously. When he says, I'm coming back, and this is how I want you to live. See, encouragement is kind of like oxygen to our soul. And the power of encouragement is pretty well documented. Years ago, they did this study. It's always interesting how they come up with these fascinating studies. This one had a bucket of ice water, and what they did is they had people take their socks and shoes off, and they would record how long they could stand in the bucket of ice water. And so they had these people that just by themselves, and they timed it. Then they did this exact same experiment, but they surrounded them with other people. Did you know that the people, when they were surrounded by other people, they stayed in the ice bucket two times longer? Why is that? They were with others. Just even the sheer presence of another person 
was encouraging to the challenge how long can you stay in this bucket of ice you see in athletics you know what when you've got just a few folks cheering for you or an entire stadium you just play better don't you people are cheering for you they are for you it just causes you to up your game Charles Schwab said this I have yet to find the man whoever exalted his station who did not do better work and put forth greater effort under a spirit of approval than under a spirit of criticism. That's just how it works. Very interesting, when President Lincoln was assassinated, they actually have the personal effects that were on him the night that he was killed, they have it on display on the Smithsonian. And what you'll find there, there's a small handkerchief embroidered Abraham A. Lincoln, got a pen knife, um, there was a $5 Confederate bill that he had on him. Not sure where he's going to spend that, but he had that with him. And then inside his wallet, he also had this worn-out old newspaper clipping that was extolling his accomplishments as a president. In fact, it began this way. Abe Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. Now, why would Lincoln carry around a really old article all worn out. Obviously, he had read it multiple times. It's because while he was president, he was vilified, he was always criticized, he was threatened on multiple occasions. If you look at Lincoln's home life and the mental instability of his wife and the troubles that he was facing even in his own home, he needed someone, someone in his corner that believed in him. And he had it, and he carried it with him. Benjamin Disraeli said this, the greatest good you can do for another is not just share your riches, but to reveal to him his own. If you really want to make a difference in your, a person's life, you want to be encouraging and point out the great resources and riches they have in their own life, starting with God and the Holy Spirit and the, and the blessings that God has given them in their life. People want to be appreciated and encouraged. If you want to try to understand people, they want to be encouraged and appreciated. They don't want to be sounding boards for your personal ego trip, right? They never, you don't, you don't like that when people are like, let me just tell you how great I am. I mean, they basically, no. But they do want encouragement. Truett Cathy, who is the founder of Chick-fil-A, uh, he, he created a, an, a work environment that is pretty different than a lot of cultures. And one of the things that he wanted to do was have his workers and the, his environment, his restaurant, be encouraging places with encouraging people. And one time, Truett Cathy was asked, well, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? And this was his answer. Well, they are breathing. And that's how it is. If you're breathing, you likely need encouragement. And everybody needs encouragement. And everybody can be an encourager. All you have to do is you have to care about people and you have to take the initiative. But I can assure you, people need fresh strength. They need courage to face the day. Courage to do what is right. Courage to take some risks. Courage to make a difference. If you're a parent, your kids need encouragement. If you are married, your spouse needs encouragement. If you're a friend and you have a friend, I can tell you your friends need encouragement. And like when we come together as a church, and you guys all floated in here in your kayaks and canoes, right? 
do you know that the people around you are actually in great need of encouragement? But this is what happens. We have created a culture of superficiality that, that is widespread. It exists everywhere in our culture. And this is what happens is we actually, just how are you doing? Fine. And we, even though it's not fine, or we might give just a subtle hint, but we never move to the place where we actually engage. And what happens is people function this way because they, they distance themselves from others because they don't want to get hurt. But that same putting on a mask, that same idea that you're going to hide or pretend actually keeps you from perhaps what you need the most, and that's encouragement. So let me just give you a few tips on how to be a good encourager. One, just be specific. Not, not general, not like, you just, good job. That's helpful, but it's more helpful if you can be specific, where you're pointing out progress or affirming qualities or something that is done well or at least better, but you can specifically point that out. That is very encouraging. Let me give you another tip. Be motivated. Highlighting diligent effort or discernment that is exercised or the fruit of one's labor or, or the presence of God's grace in another, but you're, you're motivated. Let me give you a third. Be willing to point out next steps that could be helpful, like what to avoid, what to modify, what to develop. That means that you're going to actually have to engage at a level that you actually understand the person and their situation, but you're offering a next step. And then this, finally, do this. Do you want to be a good encourager? You want to be a second coming Christian like verse 11? You want to be Christ-centered. You want to keep pointing people to the grace and the goodness and the sovereignty and the power and the love of Jesus. Because friends, if you don't point people to Jesus, who will? You think the folks at work are? You think the kids at school are doing that? If you don't, who will? And because we're looking for the return of Jesus, therefore we are to encourage one another. There are a few things in the world that are more powerful than a positive push, a smile, a word of optimism or hope, especially in a difficult time, and just for you to try to encourage another. At the end of the 2015-2016 football season, there was a playoff game with the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. I didn't watch the game, but I happened to be, I think, picking up a kid, and I was listening on the radio, and it was, I mean, they're playing at Minnesota, they were playing outdoors, it was super cold, the Seahawks were up 10-9, but the Minnesota Vikings were on the 27-yard line, all they had to do was kick a field goal with 22 seconds left. Now, Minnesota Vikings, man, they're in a good situation, you know why? Because they had the best NFL kicker at the time, a guy by the name of Blair Walsh. Uh, he had already kicked 34 field goals in his career. Uh, field goals 30 yards and under, he made 33 of 34. It was almost a given. And so I'm listening on the radio thinking, wow, coming down to the wire, all he has to do is kick it through. And even the announcer, he was ready to say, and it's, uh, it went wide. It was like an unbelief, but then he kicked it. When Blair Walsh kicked the ball, somehow it went wide of the goalpost. And it immediately ended the Viking season. This sent off a tirade of social media storm directed at the kicker, Blair Walsh. I mean, they just went ballistic on him. I mean, we forgot. This is a game. Did you know that? Oh, no. They tore this guy apart. 
And in fact, there's a picture of Blair not doing so well. Well, there were some first graders in Minnesota, and they, uh, they recognized the situation, and so they decided they were going to do something. And I would like you to learn from someone already done this one, from some children. First grader Allie Edwards said, quote, Blair was really sad. So one of her classmates wrote this, and what they did is they wrote him a bunch of letters and drew him pictures and colors, and they had all of this sent to him. So one of these first graders wrote, quote, Dear Blair Walsh, I think you should keep trying. Don't give up. We still love you. Get better by practicing. And, and it's interesting to read these, like the, the spelling was atrocious. The heart to encourage was absolutely perfect. One boy, Tyler Dawson, I think he's the guy up front here, he wrote an entire page to Blair Waltz. And he wrote this, quote, Dear Blair, I fell, F-E-L-L, I think he meant feel, I feel bad for you. Don't give up. You're still number one. Practice more so that you can get better at kicking. You're so good at kicking, so don't give up. Keep trying. We still love you. Blair Walsh was so encouraged by these kids that he delayed his flight home a day so he could go and visit their class. And he met with each of the students, and this is what he said when he left the classroom. It was very touching to me. A lot of the cards were very pretty and creative, and I will cherish them forever. You know, I think we'll see Blair Walsh kicking next season. You know why? I think it's because he's first graders. Friends, that's how encouragement works. You need to know that learning from and working through failure, that's a part of any long-term success. Everybody that accomplishes anything fails at some time. But I can tell you that a few words of encouragement make such a significant difference in a person's life. I think some of you are familiar with Charles Wesley. He's a very famous hymnist. Uh, early on in his faith, uh, he was suffering from a severe bout of pleurisy, which is kind of an inflammation of the membranes around uh, his lungs. He was not only in pain, but he was having some pretty significant doubts about his newfound faith in Christ. And that is until there were a group of Christians that came and visited him, and they not only took care of him physically, but they started telling him stories about how God was at work in their lives. When these individuals left, Wesley felt strengthened, not only physically, but in his soul. And from this event, he wrote the hymn that we actually sang this morning. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. In fact, he went on to become one of the greatest hymn writers our world has ever had. Listen to these words with the perspective from where they came from. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my Great Redeemer's praise. You get that? The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, help me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Friends, if we're going to be life-giving believers, we need to be encouraging one another. But second, notice what the text says. Therefore, encourage one another and also build up one another just as you also are doing. To build up 
it's it's really a word that basically applies to building a house or a structure, some sort of fortification. What Paul did, though, is he used that word to apply how Christians actually build up one another. You see, God is the architect, and he's the one who designs the house, but God actually involves believers to actually help in the building up process of other believers. So just like we're building phase two, and we're following a plan, and it's got steel and concrete and nails, and it's got boards, and it's got mortar, it's brick, all of this is coming together and it's following a plan, but when every piece is put together in the proper place, guess what? The building is developed. And like we've been talking about, we are building to build lives. We want a facility that will continue to facilitate the ministry that God entrusted to us. And friends, that's what we're all about as a church. Helping people truly know Christ and grow and develop and be built up in Him. Because friends, we are a second coming church. You not only encourage one another, but you build up one another. That means that we make it a priority to invest in people. To add value to people. To encourage maturity. Fortification of character. Helping people grow in God's Word. And that's what we want to do. We want to be like the text that's building up one another. Helping people understand who Christ is, what it means to be united with him, to know his power, his strength, to have his perspective, to know his peace, to abide by his word, to follow and hold to his promises. That's what we do. But in order to build up people, a couple things have to happen. You've got to be intentional, and you also have to be helpful. I came across this piece about a guy who fell into a pit. This is some sort of fanciful piece. It's pretty funny about how different people treated this guy in this pit. So a subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there, right? An objective person came, saw the guy in the pit, and said, well, it's logical that someone would fall down there. Not very helpful, but okay. Then there was a Pharisee, and he came by and said, only bad people fall into pits. Then there was a mathematician, and he calculated how the individual actually fell into the pit. There was a news reporter, and he wanted an exclusive story on the person in the pit. A realist came by and said, now that's a pit. There was a geologist that came by, and he wanted the man in the pit to appreciate the rock strata that he saw. There was an IRS worker, and he asked if he was paying taxes while he was in the pit. There was a county inspector who asked if he had a permit to dig the pit. There was a self-pitting person, and you just love these kind of people, right? The self-pitting person said, well, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit, right? You know, you're telling someone you got to jump down, like, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about my woes, you know? And then there was an optimist, and he said, you know, things could be worse. And then there was the pessimist who came by and said, things will get worse. But then there was Jesus. And seeing the man, he reached down and took him by the hand and pulled him out of the pit. Friends, if you and I are we're going to build people up, we have to be intentional and helpful. But if we're really looking for the return of Jesus, this is how we're called to live. Encouraging one another and building up one another. Walt Disney had a very unique way of kind of dividing people, and he divided people into three categories. And as you would imagine, rather creative, 
And he said there are really three kinds of people in the world today. I think it would apply for today as well. He said one group of people, he calls them well poisoners. These are the people, he said, who discourage you and stomp on your creativity and tell you what you can't do. Then he said there's another group of people, and he called them the lawnmowers. And I was like reading, like, why would, why would you call them the lawnmowers? And he said these are people who are well-intentioned but self-absorbed, and they tend to their own needs, mow their own lawns, and they never leave their yards to help another person. And he called them lawnmowers. He said there's a third group of people, and they are life enhancers. They are people who reach out to enrich the lives of others, to lift them up and inspire them. We need to be life enhancers, and we need to surround ourselves with life enhancers. Friends, that's what we are to do when we're in Christ. We are about helping people grow in their relationship with Christ. To quote Walt Disney, we are to be life enhancers. I mean, don't you know the reality of truly being in Christ? We're sinners. We're trusting in a perfect Savior. When you believe in Christ, not only do you receive benefits like forgiveness of sins, eternal security that you're always going to be with Him forever, but Jesus fully intends to change your life from the inside out. Like he says in Galatians 2.20, For we have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in where? Me. What? Listen to me. That I live, now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. We used to be very self-centered. But now, as a Christian, we're growing Christ-centered, and we are interested in his purposes in the lives of other people. We want to be living out the reality of the gospel. So remember last week, remember verse 8? We talked about the importance of faith, love, and hope. You see, as those who are living in Christ, God is always cultivating when we seek him faith, love, and hope. That's what he said in verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Faith, taking God at his word, love, and actually caring not only about people, but loving God. And when we love God, we love people. And as the helmet, the hope of salvation. Our hope in Christ guards and guides our minds. And friends, to live in life, light of Christ, you turn, that means that we're a life-giving believer. And this is our mission statement. Just to refresh you, this is the mission of Fellowship Bible Church. To glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. We are in Christ, and we are living it out, each of us and all of us, together. And that word life is an acronym that reminds us that the life of Christ is a life of loving God, Investing in others. You could say building them up. Following his word. And E for engaging our world. This is what we are to do. Like This is what the writer of Hebrews says. This is how we're to live. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 through 25. He says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let's figure it out. How you and I can stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. So the idea that, well, I'll gather with the believers at church, like when I feel like it, that obviously has been a problem that's existed for about 2,000 years now. 
because there was a habit of even some that moved into isolation. He says, no, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? It's the day of Christ's return. Friends, that's the message. We're to be encouraging one another, and we're to be building up one another. Encouragement and edification happen only in the context of relationships. So how do you really just build people up? How do you invest in them? How do you add value to their lives? Let me just put this out real simply. First of all, you have to truly value people. You have to see people made in God's image. When you and I do this, it really changes our perspective on people. So we value people. We will believe in them before maybe they even believe in themselves. We will take the initiative to love them before they love us. We will give to them, not expecting anything in return, because we value them. Let me give you a second. If you're going to build people up, not only do you truly value people, but you also want to make yourself more valuable. And why would you say, like, why would you say that? That's because you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you do not have. So you increase your opportunities to grow in wisdom. You want to do well wherever God has placed you. It's not just for your own benefit, but you realize I have the ability to be a blessing and benefit others. To use my experiences and the things that God is doing in my life to be a blessing to other people. So we make ourselves more valuable. We learn and apply God's wisdom so that we have an opportunity to invest in, making, in helping others with them growing in wisdom in Christ. It's very much like what Jesus said when he said, make disciples of all the nations. We're growing in Christ. We're helping others do the same. And then, let me just third, finally, how do you build people up? You do so by helping people grow in Christ, and you do it as a way of life. And I'm just going to put down just a variety of ways, just simple, very practical ways, you and I can build people up. First of all, just tell people you're for them, that you're pulling for them, that you're cheering for them. Just, just tell it and mean it. Let me give you another. Offer some helpful words of encouragement or advice. Let me give you another. Send just like a, a brief note or a text or an email or, or handwrite them, the old-fashioned way. Send them a card. Here's another way just to build people up. People talk through their issues and do so as a safe person. It's not that you're approving of everything that they're doing, but you're a safe person. You're not going to broadcast what's going on, but you're, you're listening intently. You're trying to be helpful. You're being intentional. Another, offer biblical insight on how God's word can apply to their situation. Um, share your experiences, but do so in a non-domineering way. And when I say non-domineering, uh, sharing your like 35-minute story it's not going to be overly helpful. Condense it. Give the salient points. But when you share your experiences, you're doing so to help another with experiences that are somewhat related. Another, help people discern what their next steps are in their particular relationship that they're in or their circumstances. That means that you listen to their story, you're engaged, you're involved, but you're actually processing like helping them think through next steps. That is super helpful when it comes to building people up. You can check in as their accountability friend. Um, here's something that's very helpful for building people up. Discuss with them lessons learned. 
whether from their challenges or their failures or their experiences. What are some lessons that we've learned from this? Pray with them and for them. I have yet to be turned down. I've asked them, hey, can I just pray for you or with you? Just do that. You know how encouraging that is and building people up? Um, and then just finally, keep focusing on Jesus Christ. You remember the rally cry of Easter? Does anybody happen to remember the rally cry of Easter? Well, Easter was a long time ago, and I, I get it. Anybody happen to remember? Okay, yes. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So that's what we do. We keep pointing them to Jesus. And friends, this is what discipleship is all about. It's moving from being a personal success to being a person of significance because you're using your blessings and benefits and words to be of influence, a positive influence on others. And so what we do is we just believe that this is important. That's why God has it written in the word. We're willing. And we're just going to go on the power of the Spirit and we're going to leave all the results with Him. And friends, just imagine if every single one of us took this verse and just made it part of like our DNA, encouraging one another and building up one another. Friends, it's already happened. There are so many people that are encouraging. They're investing their lives in building people up. But friends, we want to continue to take the next step because this is the culture of a second coming church. And God is committed to our growth in Christ. That is actually why God has actually had the New Testament letters penned. Do you know that? To encourage us and to build us up. And just like in natural growth, I mean, you want your children to grow physically and socially and mentally and emotionally, right? So God does with his spiritual children. He wants them to grow to the fullness of maturity, and he uses believers in that process who are encouraging one another and building up one another. So I just want to ask us, how are you putting this verse into play in your life? How does encouraging one another, building up one another, show up in your friendships, in your family, in your discipleship relationships, in your small group, in your fellowship family? Do you know that this verse is at the heart of all ministry? When you believe this, this is how you go about your ministry. Whether you're working with the little children, you're helping with our youth, working with our college kids, being involved in the fellowship family, leading one, being involved in worship, being involved in hundreds of activities, whether you're working on the ground, whatever you might be doing, how does this verse come into play? Because everything we do for Christ, we do so in a way that is encouraging one another and building up one another. And friends, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 may very well be the most important ministry of your life. It may very well be the legacy that you leave. July 24th through 28, 2002, there was an event that kind of arrested the attention of our nation, if not the world. It's known now as the miracle at Kew Creek, where there were nine miners and they were trapped for over for three days, 240 feet underground in a water-filled mine shaft. Now, Nine miners were eventually rescued after spending over 77 hours in this. But they had, and that's how we know their story, but they made a decision that we're either going to live or die together. But we're in this together. And death was something that could really happen because the water temperature in which they were at was 55 degrees and hypothermia was in. And so what they did 
is that they collected around one another. And any time one of them was starting to feel cold, weak, starting to despair, give up, they put him in the center, and then they all crowded around this guy until someone else was feeling cold, weak, starting to despair, and they kept doing that for three days. When they were eventually rescued, they said it was a team effort, and only way it could have been. And friends, that's what it is for us. We're a church. God is calling us to be second coming Christians. Living in light of his return, that means that we're to be life-giving believers. Encouraging one another. Building up one another. Doing it for the glory of God because life-giving believers are committing to helping others grow in Christ as a way of life. And so we have it right there in black and white. This is how we're to live, giving ourselves to the growth of others, encouraging, building one another up for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, what a fascinating verse. You just spelled it out with such clarity that we who are living in light of Christ's return, we're to be encouraging one another and building up one another. And so God, we're asking that this would be the ongoing reality of our church, that we would move beyond our comfort zone. And that we would take these next steps of growth. And Father, for someone who has come here today who's never trusted in Jesus, and they not only need encouragement, they need salvation, they need the life that you can give, they need forgiveness of sins, they need hope, real hope. Would you just have them pray with me and say, God, I turn from self and sin. And this morning, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And I ask that I might know him as Lord and as and the goodness of walking with the Savior. And God, for all of us, may this verse be the ongoing reality of our church. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.